Hi, I'm JP Robinson. Thanks for joining me here today for this podcast, The Messiah, first post in my Holy Week 2021 series. We're looking at lessons from the final week of Jesus's life. So this week, we're going to try to look at the incredible events that characterized the Lord Jesus's final week of ministry in quote unquote real time. Uh, in this post, I'm touching on events that happened on the Monday and Tuesday after his triumphal descent on the Mount of Olives. The goal of this week's post is to spark a fresh love for the Lord and to learn practical slash spiritual lessons that can help us grow in him. So I'm going to ask you to take a few moments to read Mark 11 verses 11 to 33, either before, during, or after this podcast, because that's where I'm drawing from today. Mark 11, 11 to, 30, 11 to 33 show us both the humanity and divinity of Jesus Christ. He was God, yet he was human, and we see him busily fulfilling prophecies with each beat of his glorious heart. Let's zero in on this. Monday morning, first we see that Jesus is a planner. He's not the kind of guy who just jumps at things impetuously. Instead, he surveys the situation and takes the appropriate action. Mark 11, 11 shows us that he came into Jerusalem and looked round about upon all things. Then he turns around and leaves. In many ways, Christ here acts like Nehemiah, who just surveyed everything before starting his work or rebuilding Jerusalem. Nehemiah 2, verse 11 to 15. This is good practice for all of us in our natural and spiritual lives. As Christians, we shouldn't just jump at new things or be what I call trigger happy in responding to situations. We should prayerfully sit back and look at what we see from a word standpoint and not an emotional one. Christ is about to take dramatic action and fulfill prophecy, but first he stops and assesses the situation. We don't know what he saw, but whatever it was, it didn't discourage him from the work that he had to do. Neither should we let what we see around us breed doubt or fear in our life. Instead, let us align the realities of our world with the word of God and go forth to fulfill what he has called us to do in his name. Let's look at the road to Jerusalem. Second, Jesus wasn't just an observer. He was on a mission to redeem you and me from the power of the grave. And the next morning, which we would call Monday, he makes his way to Jerusalem from Bethany. Now, this trip is about two miles. I've been there and it's not really that far. It's about a two mile trip. But on the short trip, we see a powerful reminder of the character of our leader. So let's join the disciples as they're following him. I'm sure there was a sense of anticipation and probably some fear. No one knew exactly what was going to happen when Jesus got to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples are thinking Christ is definitely going to proclaim himself king. I mean, after the triumphal entry, how could he not? Others are wondering how the priests and religious leaders will act. But Jesus has something else on his mind. He stops abruptly near a leafy fig tree and starts to look for food. Now, I want you to consider this for a moment. Jesus is about to claim his throne, or at least that's what everybody thinks. In a time like this, why focus on food? I don't know about you, but if I was about to take over the world, looking for figs would be the last thing on my mind, especially since this isn't fig season. Fig trees in Israel start bearing normally around late April, but here we are probably about two to three weeks before that time. But we see the master has a purpose for everything that he does. Not only do we see Christ's humanity here, but we also see him for what he is, the wisest teacher that ever lived. More on that a little later. Jesus curses the fig tree, and through this experience, he's about to radically alter his disciples' perception of their relationship to God. Now let's go to the temple. Let's imagine we're standing with the disciples as Jesus enters Jerusalem. We see him just ahead of us, flanked by Peter, James, and John. He goes straight to the temple, and we know that the tension which has been brewing between our leader and the Sanhedrin is about to spill over. The armed temple guards and Jesus stare at each other for a couple seconds across the courtyard in the outer part of the temple. Peter's right hand drops to the hilt of his sword. 
all around us are the money changers and the sellers of lambs and doves and the crowds of worshipers that go around us giving our group a wide berth as they stream toward the inner court. And then it happens. For many people, this is probably the hardest part of Jesus' ministry to accept. I mean, Christ, the Lord of love, violently takes over the temple. This isn't a quick emotional flare-up. This isn't just like a temper tantrum. I mean, Christ's anger lasts long enough for him to braid a rope together and beat the people out of the temple. Here, I see his divinity. It's important to remember that this is the same God veiled in flesh that thundered on Mount Sinai. This is the same God whose wrath drowned the world in Noah's day. This is the same God that is coming soon to cleanse not only a temple, but the entire world. Jesus was angry, yes, but his anger was fueled by his desire to see God's word accomplished. Here, even in his anger, he was fulfilling prophecy. If you read Psalm 69, verse 9, and later on in the New Testament, you'll see the scripture bearing this out. Now, here's a great lesson to apply to our life. We all got angry, but in our anger, let our emotions and actions be subject to the word or will of God at all times. Christians should not curse or be crude in their anger. Jesus did none of these things, yet he was really upset. Another thing that stands out to me is why he was angry. Jesus was upholding the family honor. His father's house was being violated. He called the people that were there robbers. His father's name was being disgraced by those who claimed to worship him. And he, as the son of God, was on the scene to set things straight. Today, we Christians are God's representatives. We are here to set the record straight. We don't need the tables of the money changers or the dove sellers to be overthrown, but we do need the idols of unbelief hypocrisy, and what I call churchianity to be demolished. Paul told us that we are here to cast down spiritual enemy strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5. As sons and daughters of the Father, it is our responsibility to tear down every attempt our enemy makes to pervert true worship in our lives. The Father's name and honor is at stake, and the enemy is hard at work. Let us be busy. I'd like to point out that Jesus dominated the floor at this stage. The Bible said that he would not allow any man to carry any vessel through the temple, verse 16. He was clearly in control of the situation. He was the judge, the Lord, determining what would and would not get through. All pretended religious authority had to bow to the authority of this carpenter from Galilee, for in him the God-man lay true authority. And I believe that if he's in us, that puts us in control of the situation today. Under his authority, you and I, not society, not the church, and not the devil, decide what comes in and out of our lives. Let us break the power of the enemy by refusing to allow him to push anything through in our life. Let's keep our temple clean. Tuesday morning, Jesus did not often stay in cities. And frankly, I can't think of a time the Bible tells us that he ever spent the night in Jerusalem, besides presumably from the time when he was left there by Mary and Joseph at age 12. So after cleansing the temple, he again leaves Jerusalem. We see he's an early riser, and he often prays throughout the night and gets up early. So we see him on the move again toward Jerusalem in the morning the next day. We're right behind Peter when we pass the fig tree that Jesus cursed just yesterday. Master, Peter shouts, look at this. The fig tree you cursed is dead. We all turn to stare at the fig tree, our minds struggling to absorb the reality of this latest miracle. For it is a miracle. Trees don't just die and decay overnight. And this tree was healthy enough to bear fruit 24 hours ago. So something has clearly happened. Now, I want you to notice something you may have overlooked. Jesus knows what this week holds for him. The masses that throng him now will turn against him in just a few days. He will be betrayed, arrested, verbally and physically abused. He will be shamed, stripped naked, and murdered in one of the cruelest ways possible. So with all that on his mind, why teach this lesson now? I believe that here he taught us a lesson about the power of our relationship to God, and that lesson is the most important one we can ever learn. 
In verses 22 to 26, the Messiah shows us that he is here to restore all the power and benefits that were lost after the fall. He taught us that faith is based on forgiveness, that restoration of our relationship to God allows us to have a restored relationship with our fellow man. Essentially, his entire ministry is summed up by what happens in these verses. Fellow Christians, God makes no mistakes. Jesus taught by example, not just words. Here he showed us that the same power and life that flowed in him is more than able to change circumstances or move mountains in our own lives if we approach him on the basis of undiluted faith. Now, it took time for Jesus's word to come to pass, 24 hours or within 24 hours, but it happened. So I believe that we should be encouraged and take him at his word for it cannot fail. On that note, I want to thank you so much for joining me here today. Don't forget to comment about what you hear or see in this podcast that stands out to you or what you hear and see in these verses that stand out to you. Let me know by just commenting or joining back my website, jprobinsonbooks.com. And don't forget to join me for tomorrow's broadcast as we approach this wonderful, wonderful week. Have a blessed Easter season. This is J.P. Robinson, and I'll see you next time.